0: So I mentioned online that today we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. And different people have differing reactions to this topic. When you talk about spiritual warfare, you get a bunch of different reactions. Some get really excited uh, because either it is something they're incredibly interested in or they're really confused about it and they want to learn more about it. So people get excited for those reasons. Then there are others who would rather not talk about it at all. Like, we don't want to talk about that stuff. That's just weird. If they're honest, there's a little bit of fear or confusion, and they would rather just ignore the subject entirely and not deal with it. And finally, there are some who have this reaction spiritual warfare, what's that? Uh, So, let me start out by telling you this, and this is kind of the baseline that we'll build off of this morning. Spiritual warfare is biblical, it's real, and it's happening today. Spiritual warfare is biblical. It's real and it's happening today. This is not something you just read about. This is not something that are uh, you know you see on TV or in movies. This is a real thing. It's happening in the world today. There is a spiritual battle that is going on and it's very, very biblical. And if you've read the Bible, you will see spiritual warfare taking place uh, all throughout the scriptures. And how do we know this, that, that spiritual warfare is still happening today? We know this because Jesus hasn't come back yet. Uh, Jesus hasn't finalized things yet. There will come a day where Jesus will end the war forever. He has, well, he's already won the war. Someday he's going to end the war. He won the war through his death and resurrection, but there are still battles that, there, that need to be fought. And those battles are for the souls of every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. And the devil's fate is sealed. He knows what awaits him, but he wants to take down as many as he can with him. And that's the battle that we're facing today. 1 Peter 5.8 says this about the devil. Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I want two things, church. This is my heart as your pastor. Number one, I do not want you or anyone else to get devoured. That's the first thing I want. I want you to be protected from the enemy. And that's part of the battle that we're in. We're going to talk about that today. And number two, I want the devil to get what's coming to him. I absolutely want the devil to get what's coming. I'm sick of looking at the world around us getting worse and worse. I, I, I read online and I, I read Facebook, I watch the news and I see what's happening and I hear reports and I just get sickened by what is happening as our world just goes spiraling out of control. I'm tired of seeing people deceived at a national and at a global level. I, I know that what is happening in the world today, I know that it is exactly as the Bible described it would be. I get that, that many would be deceived in the last days. I understand that that things will get worse and worse and then the end will come, I understand that. I I know that from biblical prophecy. But I don't know about you, but I'm done, I'm fed up. I, I can't just stand by and watch the devil continue to take ground as the church just allows it to happen. I need to fight back, we need to fight back. Uh, the church needs to use the authority that Jesus has given us to beat back the enemy and reclaim territory for the kingdom of God. But too many churches don't teach on this, and even the ones that do, don't live up to their responsibility. Too many churches would rather retreat within the walls of their building than engage the enemy outside the walls. And that's great, because we don't have a building, so there's nothing to retreat inside. <laughs> We're living life in, uh, right out in the middle of it. Um but we're in a battle trilogy, whether we like it or not, we are in a spiritual battle. The only question is, will we do what the Bible teaches us that we are to do in this spiritual battle? Now, the gospel accounts are full of examples of Jesus doing spiritual warfare. We just talked about one yesterday in our Bible and coffee time. And we talked about Jesus crossing the lake and he, he met this demon-possessed man, uh, and he asked, Jesus asked him what his name was, and the man replied, legion, and the demons answered for him. And because there are so many of us, there's thousands of demons in this man uh, that, is, that Jesus heals. And Jesus meets the enemy head-on all throughout the Gospel accounts. He meets the enemy head-on and he drives him back, or better said, he in most of the cases we see, he drives him out uh, because he's dealing with people. Uh, But we see example after example of people being set free from demonic possession by Jesus in the Bible. Okay, so we see this. So the Gospels show us what it looks like. Paul, on the other hand, tells us what our role is. What part do we have to play in this spiritual battle? And Paul gives us the how-to when it comes to fighting this incredibly important battle. So in his letter to the church in Ephesus, and once again, throughout this series, letters, we're examining Paul's letters and what he wrote in his epistles, the biblical word for letter, uh, to the early church, the early churches, and Paul wrote instruction and correction and encouragement and all sorts of things. And, and, And several times, he brings up this issue of spiritual warfare. And what we should do. So Paul talks at length in his letter to the church in Ephesus. Paul talks at length about how God has equipped us with what we need to do battle against the enemy. And also how we are supposed to use these things that God has equipped us with. And that's what we're going to look at today in Ephesians chapter 6. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18. And it begins this way. A final word. Now, this is the closing thought uh, that Paul wants to leave them with. This is the end of his letter to the Ephesian church. And people usually open and close with the most important things. So Paul considers this topic to be incredibly important for them to know and to live out. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So let's stop there for a second. Paul is about to talk about the battle we're in. He's about to talk about this spiritual war and describe it to us and explain some things about it, about the epic fight that we are caught up in. And when I think of epic fights, as I know many of you are in the same boat, when I think of epic fights, of course I go to Karate Kid. That's where my mind goes, okay? Ralph Macchio, uh, who still looks 20 years old at the age of 58. I don't know if you've seen a picture of him recently. The man does not age. He's timeless. But he was 23 years old when he played Danny LaRusso in the original Karate Kid. He was 23 three and and he played a kid who was i think 16 years old uh which is crazy uh, because he looked like he was younger than that um but in in that first karate kid movie there's an important scene where danny Larusso realizes how good his teacher mr miyagi is at karate he has this like like he's floored by this guy's ability level And he wants to know what kind of credentials he has. Like, okay, I'm going to be taught by you. I want to know who you are and what you bring to the table. So he asks him what kind of belt he has. And Mr. Miyagi responds, JCPenney, 398. And then he says this to Daniel. He says, karate here. And he points to his head, to Daniel's head. And then he says, karate here. And he points to his heart. He says, karate is never here, pointing to his belt. And as we begin to talk about spiritual warfare and the part we play, I want to remind us this morning that spiritual warfare is here, as I point towards heaven, and spiritual warfare is here in the word of God, but spiritual warfare is never here, as I point to myself. This verse tells us be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes and and why that's significant to us. Let's continue reading what Paul says. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So Paul Paul covers a lot here. He gives us a lot of things to think about and to learn about with regard to spiritual warfare. And so we're gonna go through this whole passage And what this means to us. But the first thing I want you to understand, and this is so important as he gets into this armor at the end, and the spiritual armor is where we're going to park on later, but I just want to hit this up front. The armor is not to pick and choose. This is a complete set. You don't get to, you know, say, well, I'll take this one and this one and not take the whole thing. This is, you need it all. Put on all of God's armor, Paul says. Paul doesn't want us running around without every single thing that God has given us to fight the enemy. They're not optional items. This is what is required if we're going to survive the spiritual battle that is being waged all around us. We need everything that God has for us. So everything in that list of spiritual armor is mission critical. And you'll understand as we talk about it later. Now, this is, this is a principle that I, I want to hit up front as well, because I think sometimes we mis-target spiritual warfare. And you'll understand what I mean by that in just a second. And the statement I want to give you up front is this. We need to fight to forgive as much as we fight to defeat. We need to fight to forgive as much as we fight to defeat. Let me explain. We are fighting. There's no question about that. We are in a war. We are in this battle on a daily basis. We are fighting and we need to. The question is, who are we supposed to be fighting? Because as I look at a lot of people, as I look at a lot of followers of Jesus, it seems to me that sometimes we are more concerned with fighting people than we are the enemy. Um, We're not fighting against people. Instead, we're fighting against the devil and his forces of evil. Our enemy is unseen, but very much there, very real, very evil, very powerful. But we don't fight against people, and we we have to remember this. We're not commanded to defeat people, to fight against people. We're commanded to love people, is what Scripture tells us. Matthew 5, 44 says, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's what Jesus tells us we are to do with those that are on the opposite side. We're supposed to turn the other cheek. We're supposed to practice meekness. Meekness is controlled, restrained strength. We are supposed to show them Jesus. If there's ever a example, a greater example of restrained strength, controlled strength, Jesus was the ultimate example of that. We testify to the goodness of God through our actions and our words. We fight the fight against the enemy The problem is I see too many churches and too many followers of Jesus who treat their neighbor like their enemy, especially on social media. Uh, And I'm not saying we don't take a stand for what is right. We absolutely need to take a stand for what is right. I'm not saying we don't proclaim truth because we absolutely need to proclaim truth. We have a biblical mandate to do exactly that. But what we should never do is attack the idea sharer instead of the ideology, and I think sometimes we, 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 get, we get worked up, we get heated, we get, we get kind of, you know, uh, we get this holy indignation, if you will, this righteous anger, and we direct it towards someone instead of the idea being shared. It, our fight is not against that person who's confused. Our battle is far more important than that. Now, the enemy may be very much involved and in using the people who are hurting us, But our fight is not against them. And when I say hurting us, I'm not talking about us specifically because I disagree with a lot of people that I've never even met. I hear people talk on the news. I read articles by people and I just, my mind is blown at their ideologies and their worldviews. And I'm like, man, they, they are lost. But that's the mindset I need to have. They are lost, not they are my enemy. You see the difference? Our fight isn't against them. It's against the power behind their actions. The Roman soldiers who put Jesus on the cross were 100% being used by the devil to accomplish his purposes in executing Jesus. But check this out. Jesus did not blame the soldiers who put the nails through his wrists. Instead, he prayed. Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. That was Jesus' heart towards those who were executing him, towards those who were crucifying him, And the same is true for people who fight against us, whether it's personally or ideologically, we need to pray for them and not against them. We need to stand strong against the enemy and on the side of truth. But remember who we are fighting for, those people on the other side of your political or ethical or moral argument, those people are who we are fighting for. We're fighting for lost people that the enemy is using. We're fighting for those lost people who have been blinded to the truth. We're fighting for their souls. We're fighting for them to experience the same freedom that we have discovered in Christ. That's why we're fighting. We're fighting for those people who we disagree with. The world today is against you. The second you put on the jersey of Team Jesus, you were a target. You're going in a different direction. You're flowing in a different way. So how do we participate in this battle then? We are in it, whether we want to be or not. How can we participate best? Let me give you some thoughts that Paul shares. Your role in this battle is not to fight, but to stand. Your role is not to fight, but to stand. This is probably the most important thing you're going to hear all morning. This sums up everything Paul has to teach us about spiritual warfare. And I think sometimes we get these delusions of grandeur where we imagine ourselves as God's champions and we're being sent out to put the devil in his place and send him packing. But the picture that Paul paints is quite different than that. Ephesians 6, 13 and 14, once again, he says, Therefore put on every piece of God's armor, just in case you missed it the first time, all of it, every piece required. We can't have bare patches in our defense. The enemy will find our areas of weakness. If there's holes in our armor, the enemy's gonna find it. So put on every piece of God's armor. So you will be able to destroy the enemy. No, it doesn't say that. It says, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. I mean, Okay, so wait a second. Where was the battle? That was it. That was the battle. Resist. Don't give in. Don't yield. Don't let the devil get a foothold in your life. And just in case you think Paul was maybe a little on the sissy side or something, just didn't want to put up a fight, James says the exact same thing, James 4, 7. So humble yourselves before God, which means rely on his power, not yours. Humble yourselves before God. Acknowledge that you can't do it without him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So there it is again. Stand firm. Resist. Don't give in. That is our role in this spiritual battle is just don't back down. How do we fight? We resist. People make spiritual warfare out to be something that it's really not. Uh, When it comes to your own personal battle against the enemy, use the equipment that God has given you. Now, let me give uh, a disclaimer. This is for our own personal battle against the enemy. This is how we wage war. We don't attack, we stand firm. Now, there are going to be opportunities, and I've had the opportunity to see this in my life where someone is experiencing demonic oppression or demonic possession, and they need to be delivered from that I have been involved in praying for people to to be free from what the enemy is doing in their lives. Now, that's where, once again, we're not going on the offensive. We're not doing anything. It's Jesus through us. It's the Holy Spirit's power at work within us. And it's in Jesus' name that we have authority, not in and of ourselves. And we have to remember all of those things. But there are times where there are more offensive things on behalf of someone else that takes place. But in our own lives, in our own struggle, in our own battle against the enemy for someone who is a follower of Jesus, our role in that fight is to stand, okay? So use the equipment God has given you, which we're going to unpack all of that in just a second, and stand your ground. You have no need to retreat from the enemy. You resist him, okay? It, it, in, in biblical terms, Uh, this war, this battle that we're in, uh, as far as the kingdom of God is a stand your ground state. Okay, we don't have to retreat. The Bible tells us when we resist the enemy, he runs away like a scared rabbit. It doesn't just say that resist him and he, he will walk away frustrated. No, it says resist the devil and he will flee from you. All you have to do is stand your ground and don't yield. And it says the enemy will flee. So let me give you a practical example of this and and how this plays out in our lives. One of the principal ways that the devil attacks us, he brings attack into our lives is through temptation. You've experienced it, I've experienced it. On a daily basis, we get tempted. The devil will bring temptation into our lives in an area of personal weakness to try to get us to fall, to try to get us to sin, to try to get us to rebel against God, to turn our back on God, to rely on our own strength instead of his. He brings temptation into our lives to ruin our witness. All of these things, these are attacks the enemy brings. And temptation is a powerful weapon that the enemy has and he uses with great effectiveness against us. But maybe you've noticed the same thing that I've noticed about. Temptation, the power of temptation, its strength fades very quickly. Temptation does not have staying power. Its power fades very quickly. Temptation comes on really strong. I mean, almost overwhelmingly strong when temptation comes on initially. But if you can resist for a few minutes, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it just fades away. Resist the devil and he will flee. And I've practiced this for a long time and I've taught my kids to do the same. When you're faced with a temptation, pretend it's a fire, okay? You know the elementary school lesson for how to deal with it if you catch fire? You know, I don't know how many kids are catching fire these days, but we teach every kid in elementary school how to deal with it. And that is to stop, drop, and roll, right? That's what you should do if you ever catch fire. Stop, drop, and roll. Uh, Well, with temptation, it's stop, drop, and pray, when I face temptation, I will stop what I'm doing and pray a prayer like this God, help me to focus on you instead of this temptation. Holy Spirit, would you give me the strength I need to resist, to stand on truth and not give in to this temptation I'm facing? And I promise you, by the end of that prayer, whatever it was tempting you is now long gone. It's gone. You don't wanna do it anymore. The difference is I have just stood my ground. I haven't yielded to the temptation. I've yielded to God. And I've said, I need your strength. And so just whisper a prayer in the face of temptation. You know, the devil is like a lion. Remember we read that? Uh, the devil's like a, a roaring lion. Uh, and lions do not prey on the strongest members of the herd. They prey on the weak. They prey on the sick, the defenseless. And and I think that's so such an apt comparison to the enemy he's not going to go after the strong those that he has no chance of taking down he's going to go after the weak and the sick and the defenseless in fact lions rarely prey on members of the herd even it's those who are isolated they're off by themselves they're on the outskirts they're not connected to the herd there's no one to protect them guys there are so many applications for that Uh, for our life of faith and the power of community in the body of Christ, stay connected to Jesus and stay connected to one another. Your power is in your connections. It's in your unity with Christ and with one another. It keeps us strong against the attacks of the enemy. Okay, so we've talked about who our fight is against. And how we participate in that battle through resistance, through standing strong. So now let's talk about the armor that we're equipped with. Just like the fruit of the Spirit last Sunday, uh, we're going to go through this one by one and see what each one of these pieces of armor means for us. And we're going to make sure that we are fully armed as, that we, in, as we go into battle. And the first thing we see is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Now, officers in the Roman army, they wore short skirts, kind of like Scottish kilts. And over this, they would wear a long tunic for warmth uh, as they would travel through the countryside. When the battle would begin, they would tuck their cloaks into their belt uh, to free their legs so they could move freely in the battlefield. And the belt symbolizes being ready for the fight. Okay, when you feel discouraged, defeated, under attack, confused, depressed, or some other equally negative word, what do you do? How do you begin because we're not ready for a battle when we're feeling those things? How do you begin? You remember that when you became a Christian, you got ready for the fight when you came to Christ and you discovered the truth of who he was and who you are in him. He is the truth behind all things. Jesus is the key to life, the secret of the universe, the final reality. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. And remember, when you feel discouraged, when you feel defeated, remember the truth you have already discovered. And that truth is that Jesus is the answer. He is the rock that we stand on. And Jesus has redeemed you you are his child. You are more than a conqueror in him. And we can stand ready, armed with the truth of who Jesus is and who we are in him. That belt of truth that gets us ready for the battle is the confidence in our relationship with Jesus and who he is Who is this person that we are following? Who is this person that we have made our Savior and our Lord? And with that knowledge, with that truth equipping us and protecting us, we are ready for the battle. Next, we have in verse 14 the body armor of God's righteousness. The body armor or the breastplate in other translations. I love how the New Living Translation makes it body armor uh, because it's just so relevant and it just, it works in today's culture. Uh, The body armor of God's righteousness. And the body armor is that chest piece that goes across you and it protects your heart. One of the most vulnerable and critical places on your body is your heart. Uh, This is the center of your being. In in biblical times, they considered the heart to be uh, a a really important part of you. The the bowels or the stomach and your heart were the two things that are referenced all the time with regard to who you are. And so the heart is your emotions and your strength. And it symbolizes here, and remember it says the, the body armor of God's righteousness. This symbolizes the righteousness of God. When we accept Christ, God no longer sees what our sin looks like. When he looks at us, he sees the perfection of Jesus, not my flawed character and my sinful nature. Even though that's very much a part of who I am still, I'm still a fallen individual. I'm still struggling through a sinful world. I have been redeemed. I have been set free. I have been transformed. I have a new nature. And by Jesus' atoning sacrifice, and the atonement literally means a covering, by Jesus covering me, I now no longer have to deal with my sin because it's been dealt with. It's been covered by Christ. And so when God looks at me, he sees that covering. He sees Jesus instead of my sin. And it's his righteousness. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. So we tend to forget this when we mess up and feel guilty. That's when this becomes a problem for us. When we trip and fall, when we fail, when we sin, and we get bombarded with guilt, This is when we need to remember that Christ died once for all our sins, not just what we've done in the past, but also what we will do in the future. When we fail, we need to get back up and continue to follow, not sit there and wallow in self-pity and let the enemy now heap condemnation on us. Conviction is what the Holy Spirit brings. It causes us to get up and move forward. Condemnation causes us to want to stay in the same place or move backwards. We feel unworthy, like God would want nothing to do with us. And our joy fades away, and we're left weak, and we're left unprotected. And the breastplate of God's righteousness protects and guards us from the attacks of the enemy, who would try and separate us from God's love, based on our feelings of inadequacy or worthlessness. He wants to to drive a wedge in between God's love and us. And when we feel this way, we need to remember the righteousness of God. It's not your righteousness that matters. It's not mine. And praise God for that. Because my righteousness doesn't amount to much. But Jesus' righteousness amounts to everything. Because it covers not just my sins, but the sins of every single person alive today, who puts their faith and trust in him and every person who has lived, who has put their faith and trust in Jesus or the coming Messiah, their sins are covered by what Christ has done. We are still forgiven because of what he did. When we got saved, we weren't forgiven because of anything we did. It was all about Jesus. And in that same way, we are still forgiven because of what he did, not because of anything we did or didn't do. Our strength comes from the forgiveness of God, and that allows us to stand against the enemy. Next we have in verse 15, the shoes of the gospel of peace. The shoes of the gospel of peace. Now, shoes are absolutely essential for fighting. We can't go to battle barefoot, okay? It's gonna inhibit your movement. It's gonna prevent you from going where you need to go. Paul says that our feet should be prepared. Our shoes should should be tied. Okay. We should be ready to go here. Paul says we should be ready to travel with energy, with speed, because we have the good news. We have the gospel, the gospel of peace. We should want the armor for ourselves. We need it to protect ourselves, but we should want it for everyone else too. The gospel is not just for you. The gospel is something that should not just be for you, it should transform you, but then the gospel should flow through you. You are a witness. You are to testify to the gospel and carry the gospel, the good news with you and share that in the lives of people around you. And that is the readiness that Paul is talking about here. We should be motivated by the gospel of peace to the point that we are willing to do whatever it takes to share the good news. We stand and we resist because others cannot. We can resist the devil, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That is true for those of us who are in Christ. It is not true for those who haven't discovered Jesus yet and his love for them. They haven't heard yet. They haven't met Jesus yet. They can't resist the devil. They are stuck and dead in their sin and in their sinful nature. We stand strong and we carry the message of good news to those who need it. And Paul chooses the word peace to represent the gospel. Peace can be so hard to find in our world. People are stressed, people are anxious, people are are confused, people are frustrated, and peace is very hard to come by. And I I think of the people that I want to be more like in the middle of a culture that says you should fight back, that there should be contention all the time. Jesus teaches the opposite. He teaches us that we should be peacemakers, that we should bring peace to every situation. Uh, The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. is one of the people who comes to mind when I think of someone who approached his mission with peace. The power of his story is conveyed pretty powerfully in, in Selma where MLK led protesters to march for the right to vote. And he taught his followers that the best way to convey their truth, to promote peace, was to not fight back, but to stand. To stay strong, but to not fight evil with evil. And MLK said this, he said, darkness Cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And that, that is very, very Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes language there that he's using. Uh, this, is, this is the message of the gospel. We can't resist the devil if we're filled with hate. If we're filled with anger, uh, we can't resist the devil if we can't stand the people that we're trying to bring the gospel to. The point of us resisting the devil is yes, to avoid sin, but also to carry the gospel to those who need to hear it. And we need to preserve our ability to share the truth with people through the gospel of peace. We need to have peace in our lives. Verse 16 talks about the shield of faith. So what are these fiery arrows that we can extinguish? It says we can extinguish all of the fiery arrows that he fires at us. What are these fiery arrows? The shield of faith extinguishes them. And their temptation to sin, absolutely. That as he fires temptation at us, we can extinguish those. But it's also doubts and fears and worries and wondering if living for God is even worth it. Because I've, I've had those times, you've probably had those times where we question and we doubt even our faith. And we need to recognize these kinds of feelings for what they are. They are attacks from the enemy who's trying to tear apart our faith. We need the shield of faith to protect us from that. And here's the thing that you got to understand when you have those doubts and you have those worries and you have those questions, you got to understand the devil is not going to come and scream in your face. He's going to whisper in your ear. If, if he's screaming in our face, we're going to recognize it for what he, what he is and what the attack is. But it's those, those subtle moments where he whispers in our ear and he plants those seeds of doubt and questioning. And if we don't recognize these attacks for what they are, attacks from the enemy, we start to blame ourselves. How can I think things like this if I'm a Christian? Can I really be saved if I'm thinking like this? I must not be a Christian after all. And the devil has won. So how do we extinguish these? I want you to notice it doesn't say, take your shield of belief. It doesn't say your shield of belief. We believe in God. But this is our shield of faith, and faith is different. Faith is belief in action. It's faith that causes us to take a step. It's faith that causes us to do something, to live differently. Faith is the therefore of our thought process. We believe that Christ is the truth. Therefore, my doubts cannot be true. We believe that Christ is my righteousness. Therefore, I can't believe the lie that God doesn't want anything to do with me. I believe that there is no temptation too great. Therefore, I can say no to this if I trust in God. Faith is the therefore in our thought process. Doubt is always an attack on faith. The fact that you have doubts proves that you have faith. If you're doubting, that means there is faith because doubt is an attack on the faith that you have. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil. Just a reminder on this verse that we touched on earlier, resist the devil and he will flee from you. This really is all we need. We can extinguish all of the fiery attacks of the enemy with this one right here. All right, verse 17 gives us the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation protects our mind. So much is won or lost in our lives in the three pounds of gray matter between our ears. One of the easiest ways to win a battle is to confuse the enemy or to make them afraid. Confuse the enemy or make them afraid. When an army is confused and without direction, they are easily defeated. Uh, My mind went back to uh, a huge example of this in the story of Gideon in the Old Testament. You know, God reduced Gideon's army from thousands to just a handful of soldiers to go up against thousands and thousands of the enemy. And they won by confusing them by making them terrified, by causing them to have unrealistic fears that prevented them from realizing their superior strength and numbers. And that's exactly what the devil wants to do to us. He wants to give us unrealistic fears and confuse us that prevents us from realizing our superior strength that we have in Christ. God doesn't want us to be confused, and we don't have to be. We don't ever have to live in fear because God is with us. The helmet of salvation is not about when we got saved. It's not a look backwards at what God has done. The helmet of salvation talks about the salvation that is coming. It's the promise of what awaits us in the future. Paul tells us to work out our salvation It is a coming thing. Our salvation will be fully realized when we stand before God in heaven. We know what the end is going to be. God wins and so do we. When things get bad around us, we can remember that we win. When the world is going in the wrong direction fast, remember that we win. We don't have to be confused by anything going on. We don't have to lose focus. Remember that we win. That is the helmet of salvation that protects our minds and protects our thoughts. And then we have uh, verse 17, the sword of the spirit. The last piece of armor that we're introduced to is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, And when we're being lied to or when we're being tempted by the enemy, we remind ourselves what the word of God teaches. We apply scripture to every situation we face and every decision that we make that protects us, that keeps us safe. Psalm 119, 9 and 11 says, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have hidden your word or stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And when we understand the word of God, we are able to go on the offensive and share its truth to others. Okay, we're able to demolish the strongholds of wrong thinking and destroy false arguments and tear down the lies of the enemy and turn thoughts that were disobedient to Christ into thoughts that are fully yielded to Jesus. And I want you to see this. The sword of the spirit, which is God's word, is the only offensive piece of equipment that is listed here. Everything else, the belt and the shoes and and the battle armor and everything else that was listed there in the helmet is all defensive in nature. The only thing that we have that is offensive is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Jesus, when he was uh, attacked by the enemy in the wilderness and he was led out by the Holy Spirit and he was attacked by the enemy and temptation after temptation was brought to him, Jesus only used one weapon against the enemy, and that was scripture. Jesus used scripture to combat the enemy. He didn't fight the devil, you know, in a physical sense or even in a supernatural sense. He quoted scripture to him. Okay, let me rephrase. He did fight the devil with the word that he had already spoken. Jesus is the living word of God. That book is Jesus' word. He is the word. Everything you need to defeat the enemy is found in the pages of scripture. Jesus has already spoken, all of it. And that's everything we need to win. And if you're not in the habit of reading God's word, start today. Not tomorrow morning, not next week, today. When you get home, Take 15 minutes, open the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and just begin. Start a new habit. The best time to begin a habit is right now because later most likely will never happen. Why would you want to be without the only offensive weapon Paul describes to us for even one more day? This is what we have to fight with, the word of God. So what I've been describing, putting on the full armor of God is the foundation of spiritual warfare. It's something in which we are engaged every day. It's about resisting temptation and deception by knowing God and the word of God and bringing that word of God to others. And so Paul closes with this statement in Ephesians 6, 18. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now, I want you to notice three phrases here. All times, every occasion, and persistent. Do you think there's a theme here in what Paul is trying to get across to us? We cannot not pray. This has to be a regular thing in our lives. And whatever you need to do to remind yourself to establish a pattern of praying, do it. I think I shared this in a message recently. I don't know if it was in a Sunday morning or in a Bible study, but I've recently uh, adopted, I've created a new habit for myself. And that is in my communication. When I text people, before I call someone on the phone, before I send someone an email, before I do any of those things, I stop and pray for that person. So if you ever get a text from me, if you ever get an email from me, know this, right before I sent that, I stopped and I prayed for you. And I've made that a habit in my life now to remind me, to give me an additional trigger uh, for prayer in my life and praying for the people that I care about and the people that I'm in communication with. But Paul says to pray in the spirit at all times, stay alert, be persistent for all believers everywhere. And so I want to pray for you more often. And so that's just one thing that I've done to try to, if I comment on your Facebook post, I've just prayed for you. But pray when you're in trouble, that comes easy. Okay, nobody has to really work hard to pray when you're in trouble, but pray when you're not in trouble. Pray when you're not under attack. That's on every occasion at all times. That goes right along with what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, that is pray without ceasing. It's an ongoing pattern, persistent thing, and consistent thing in our lives is that we pray. And notice he says to pray in the spirit. And if if you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you have a prayer language, use that on a regular basis. Make that a part of your prayer life. Don't let that sit on the shelf somewhere, that gift that God has given you. Make that a regular part. Paul says, I I am glad that I pray in the Spirit more than all of you. This was an important thing in Paul's life. And I want to encourage you to use that gift, if you've received that gift, uh, to pray all the time in the Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to pray through you. All the time, on every occasion, church, we need to just keep praying. And then Paul says this, stay alert. Guys, a huge component of spiritual warfare is to stay alert. Wake up. The church has been asleep for far too long. And I believe a lot of what is happening in our world today and what we see in the world around us is a wake-up call to the church. It's a wake-up call to get on our knees, to intercede for the lost, to pray for protection for one another. The Holy Spirit is calling the church to wake up, to stay alert. Spiritual warfare is not new, and it's not old either. It's, it's not outdated. It's been the reality of our world since the dawn of creation, and, and will be what we contend with until Jesus returns. The question is not whether or not you will be involved. The question we have to answer is, will you stand? Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for the equipping that you have done in our lives and in the church to prepare us for the battles that we have to face. God, we are in a battle. Uh, Every day we fight this battle. The battle is both personal and global. It's it's individual and it's kingdom. And God, we know that this battle is going on and I pray that you would help us to fight this fight the way you teach us in your word. Help us to resist, to stand firm, to not yield. That God, we would stand firm in the truth and the righteousness and the peace and, and the salvation that awaits us God, all of these things, God, we would stand firm in those. God, we would stand firm on your word, uh, that sword that you have given us to to do battle with against the enemy. God, let the truth of your word guide us and direct us and sustain us in the battle that we're fighting. God, I pray that you would help us to to, uh, pray for one another constantly, persistently praying for one another. God, that we would pray at all times and and on every occasion. God, we would just be a people that are accustomed to prayer. God, wake us up. Help us to stay alert that, God, we would be praying for this lost world. We would be praying for lost people. When we read something that offends us, help us to remember that it's not that person who's offending us. It is the enemy. And, God, I pray that you would help us to pray for those that are maybe on the other side of a moral or ethical argument that we've come across. Something that your your word teaches, and, and it just, it turns our stomach to read some of these things. God, I pray that you would help us to fight that fight, but God, at the same time, to pray for those who are on the other side ideologically from us. Because God, that's the reason we're standing firm, is to see them come to faith, to see them come into saving relationship, Jesus, with you. And God, I pray that you would help us to fight the battle for the right reasons in the right way. And God, let us stand firm until the end. God, as followers of you and as a church, let us stand firm. We love you, Jesus, and it's your name we pray. Amen.